Hey, good morning, Gretna. This morning's message is part of an ongoing series we have called This Is My Story. And we have members of our church or or sometimes members of our community or just people from various places, mission points, friends, family, that come in and take an opportunity several times a year to tell their story. Uh, and, and most importantly, to tell about how God is present in their story, even if they didn't recognize it at the time. Well, as we all know, I think all of our stories are a little different. And this morning's story is being told by a member of our church. And her story is unfortunately all too common, but it is a little messy. Uh, and what I wanted to do real quick is just say this, is if you are watching today with small children, uh, this may or may not be the right time or the right message for them to hear. And I would ask for you to screen it first, to watch it first before you decide. And, and that's not because it's wrong or bad. It's because it's honest and very real and, again, all too true. But it is a story that needs to be told. And I am so proud of her for being courageous enough to tell it. Many blessings to you. I'm Tracy McPherson, and thank you for listening to my story. My story, though I think I have tamed it down, is a bit graphic. If you are concerned about small children hearing a graphic story, I would encourage you to have them not stay. My earliest memory is when I was about four years old. We lived in a small cottage in Avondale at Indian Lake that my uncle owned. As memory serves, I slept on a mattress on the floor of the living room with my mom while my three brothers shared one of the bedrooms, or the one bedroom. Do I need to start over? Um, one day, while having breakfast, one of my brothers asked my mom for more to eat. She told him there was no more food. As kids do, he continued to press, asking for more. At the time, mom was working as a secretary in Lima at a car dealership, making $50 a week. Even then, that was not a lot of income for a family of five. Anyway, this day is an example of you never really know how much baggage a person is carrying. When my brother continued to press, my mom turned sharply and hit him on the head with a cast iron skillet while yelling, there is no more food. My eldest brother, who was only eight years old, quickly grabbed us up and took us to the bus stop while my mom curled up in a ball on the floor. The bus driver then drove us directly to the school and my life was changed forever. We were placed in foster care system for several years. We spent a time at the children's home, and eventually we went to live with my uncle and aunt, who were more focused on alcohol and going to the VFW regularly. Obviously, this was not a good setting, but I won't belabor. Via the legal system, my brothers were all adopted by a family who moved them to upstate New York to work on their farm, then on to Canada, which is why I have a brother still in Canada today. I went to live with a foster family nearby and eventually began home visits with my mom, who had remarried. Wow, back with my mom. I had my own room with a bed and numerous stuffed animals and dolls. Life was turning around, or so I thought. Moving ahead, when I was 11, life turned ugly again. My mom's husband began sexually abusing me when my mom was at work. 
There was a constant threat. There was a constant threat that if you tell your mom, she will choose you, me over you, and you'll go back to the children's home. As years went on, I tried to convince him to stop, but the threats intensified to, if you tell, I will kill you. This man owned several guns. Many times they were right there touching me as events occurred, so I continued to give in. Whenever I attempted to push back, physical and verbal abuse became the norm. One time I went to school with a black eye, and of course the story was, I fell and hit the corner of the coffee table. I was never allowed to go anywhere with any of my friends, nor go to their homes for sleepovers. I was allowed to go to one public event a week, and he drove me and picked me up. I was his possession, and when I was cooperative, the physical and verbal abuse would die down, but the moment I began to push back again, the physical abuse came back. Oh, the lies that I lived, and uh, to keep his secret. When I was 17 and a month from graduating, I finally told a friend what was going on. She convinced me to tell my mom and to call her if needed, and she'd get her mom to come and get me. Mom believed me, and we immediately were packed and heading to Florida to some dear friends' home. I still don't know to this day if she suspected or even knew all along and just kept quiet. Upon returning to Ohio, she separated from him, and I had the best summer of my life to that point. I had got a part-time job at Arby's and was going to do things with my friends and then went off to college. Life was turning around, or so I thought. I came home one weekend that fall to find some of his shirts hanging on the doorknob. I was confused, and my mom said that she was taking him back. When I asked why, she said, I have to do what I have to do to keep you alive. You see, when everything was brought out into the open, she asked me to never tell anyone about it because of the gossip mill, and she didn't want to go through it. Think about it. My mom was pregnant and married at 16, a single mom of four at 21, had a nervous breakdown and a lengthy inpatient hospital stay at 25. She no longer wanted to be the talk of the town. I respected her request because I was out of the situation and that was what I really wanted. I did not know about the legal system back then to know that he should have gone to jail for what he did. Unfortunately, that meant to some degree the man continued to be in my life until I was nearly 50s, in my early 50s, when one day he again made an inappropriate comment to me, and I finally knew how to set a boundary with him. I told him he was never allowed to speak to me like that again. He, was, he made his usual derogatory comments back, and our communication ended, and last year he died. During all that, I did not know anything about the saving grace of Jesus, when I opened up to my friend, Christy Brant Wright, her family became my greatest blessing, especially when my mom took him back. The Brants invited me into their homes. Many of you may recall Kay Brant or know Rodney. In this home, I learned what family looks like. I learned who Jesus was, and I learned about the salvation and grace. Kay invited me to go with her to do special music one Sunday at a little country church called Gretna. I fell in love with the essence of Gretna, and whenever I was back from college, I attended. Then one day, I met this man named Herb. I had previously heard of him from Eva Kennedy, 
And one Sunday, I noticed Eva talking to this very attractive man that I had never seen at Gretna prior and thought, hey, I wonder if that's that herb guy. So I purposefully went to say hi to Eva. Sure enough, and 36 years later, we are still attending this little country church. Through Gretna, the Brant family, and the McPherson families, I learned more and more about what the Christian life looked like. Two of my fondest memories are my first Christmases with the Brants, where I had learned of the spirit of of family at Christmas, and the other was at Bob and Shirley's, when, like in a movie, Bob had his grandchildren all around where he read the birth of Christ from the Bible. I was amazed to hear this story as the children were. I had never heard the story directly from the Bible before. As most of you know, I worked for Honda for 25 years, and during that time, I led a chameleon lifestyle. I attended church regularly and taught Sunday school. I continued to have my faith, but I would also use foul language at work, talk the way, talk in inappropriate ways, go out sometimes after work with colleagues and have drinks, and then drive home. It t- I took a lot of risks. During that time, I had spurts when I would be real good about reading the Bible every day, and then all of a sudden I'd get too busy again because I had to go to work earlier, I had to work late, and was tired. I had a myriad of excuses. For some reason, God never stopped loving me. I knew that because every time I would return, he was there waiting for me. I left Honda because I was putting it and relationships there ahead of my own life. After I left Honda, I had no idea what to do with the rest of my life. I remember sitting in the back of church one day before I wasn't to return to Honda the next day, and all of a sudden I had a huge rush of anxiety come across me and the realization that I had no idea what I was about to do with the rest of my life starting the next day. I had no idea because I had no plans. For 25 years, I got up at four in the morning and went to Honda. What was I to do? Where was I to go? I was at a loss. But leaving Honda allowed me to truly do some searching and my relationship with God grew to a height I had never imagined. I, for the first time, began to understand what it was like to hear from God. I felt so close to him and began to see blessings all around me that I had never appreciated. During this time of change, I felt led to start a business that would employ special needs adults and teach job skills to people in public assistance. Everything fell into place for the birth of Chat and Lock. I had several people come before we opened, and Josh Coffey helped us to dedicate the business to God. We opened with a bang. Unfortunately, the economy was struggling at the time, and a couple of years in, we were doing better with the catering than the restaurant. Catering was grueling, and grueling, and I ended up with frozen shoulder from lifting too much weight. One day, I had the strongest, let's face it, angriest conversation with God of my life. I was mad at him because I felt I did everything he had asked me to do, and he was not enabling the success that I want, that I wanted. A few days later, I felt him saying to me, I needed to break you of your pride. There's more to come. You see, I had been a manager at Honda, president of Indian Lake School Board, president of Logan County United Way, the board of DD, International Board of Ethics, had my MBA, etc., etc., etc. I was all that in a bowl of jelly within myself. Once I realized pride had overtaken me, I became the clay for the potter. All of a sudden, I began finding myself in places or with people that there was absolutely no way I should have unless it was God's placement. I spoke with Pastor Larry Brown, who suggested I go on a retreat to the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky. 
and I would highly recommend it to everyone. <laughs> this abbey is a Trappist monastery, which means members take a vow of silence. So while on the property, you are also asked to observe that vow of silence within yourself. Communing with God in silence opened my heart to see how the unexpected experiences that I had been having, where they were leading me towards mental health and addictions counseling. I immediately knew I was going to do this. And if I were, I would only do it with God's leading. Thus, I chose to go to Ashland Theological Seminary's program. Having a few years under my belt now as a mental health and addictions counselor, I am constantly amazed how God is using me and my past. Some counseling sessions are more difficult for me than others, like when a patient shares my story. I've come to quickly re recognize when I feel any type of transference or counter-transference and immediately go into prayer mode, asking God to help me see this person as his child or to give me the best words to offer every, and I mean every time he comes through for me. And I never stop being amazed at some of the timely words that come out of my mouth. At this point, I truly believe for the first time in my working career, I am right where I am supposed to be every single day. I am mentally and emotionally exhausted at the end of my work week. And I am thankful for a weekend break. As I close, I want to thank my friend Christy Brant-Wright and Herb, who are here today to support me in telling my story publicly for the first time. I would also like to encourage each of you, no matter your age or your position in life, to see everyone through, eyes, through God's eyes, because you never know the baggage and the secrets they may be holding. I encourage you to be there for someone in need, because you just might impact their life and teach them about Jesus, as the Brants and McPhersons did me. As Mother Teresa said, we ourselves feel that what we are doing is just a drop in the ocean, but the ocean would be less because of that missing drop. Thank you for listening to my story. And now I want to invite you to close your eyes and listen to the words of this song by Brandon Heath. broken sky, traced out by the city lights, my world from a mile high, best seat in the house tonight, touch down in the cold black tower, hold on for the sudden stop, breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos, all those people going somewhere, why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the broken hearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 Step out on a busy street See a girl and our eyes meet 
Does it best to smile at me To hide what's underneath There's a man just to arrive Black suit and a bright red tie Too ashamed to tell his wife He's out of work, he's buying time All those people going somewhere Why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the broken hearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 I've been here a million times A couple million lies Just moving past me by It's where I never thought that I was wrong But I want a second glance So give me a second chance To see the way you've seen the people all along Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the brokenhearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Give me your eyes Lord, give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing That I keep missing 